Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined, as always, by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And, as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Wednesday, August 10th, and, John, I think it's time to pat ourselves on the back for a variety of reasons, but mainly because since being appointed new co-commissioners, we have made... Our universities, which now span the entire country, mm-hmm. massively rich. Yeah. Massively, all, massively, uncomfortably rich. All in our free time. Like, this is our second job. Yeah, on the side. It's yeah. our third job. This podcast is the second job. That's a very good point. Yeah, just having, trying to help out where we can. You know, happy to do it. ESPN uh, couldn't quite handle our negotiation power. Pulled out of the uh, negotiation. Not shocking. Soft. Um, not ready for the deep water negotiations. And then uh, CBS was. And we're willing to pay $350 million annually for the <laughs> afternoon <laughs> slot, which I'm like laughing through. Through one window. Yep. I think it was part of the thing where like when you and I were sitting on the one side of the table and I wrote down the number on the piece of paper and I slid it to you. And you started coughing and we're in shock. And I was like, you play cool. And you're like, no, no, I'm fine. Um, add another zero. And he did. And they just did it. They took it. And we just kind of walked out of there like it was super normal. And then just laughed hysterically at CBS for paying that much money. So, yeah, we're pretty good at negotiating. I don't know. No big deal. Brag. But, uh. Just to be clear, like $350 million is like five times the amount that ESPN was paying last year. <laughs> I'm going to give context to the $350 million. It is, that, that is a comical amount. And listen, like, you can say that the SEC is the better conference. Don't care. But, n- dude, nobody gets a bag like the Big Ten. I mean, they have done it. They were the first to go big and get the Big Ten Network, which secured a massive bag. And now this one, I mean, adding oh, adding the East Coast markets, as dumb as Maryland and Rutgers sounds, added significant bag. Adding USC and UCLA enabled this bag. I mean, through multiple commissioners, the, the Big Ten just continues to to get money. And it's it's kind of like we should take a moment as fans. I think we talked about this last time, but like as fans of schools that are in this conference, Funny. we should be very appreciative of their efforts so because funny. it is. Just imagine, I saw a question on Twitter recently that was like, what brand is bigger, Oklahoma State or Michigan State? And I was like, this isn't a discussion. 
Like it's, it's, it's not a, and and the poll, I believe reflected my sentiment, but it was just ridiculous. Michigan state's going to be on one of the three major networks just about every single week and already really was for the most part. And if they're not, they're going to be the prime time showing on the, on BTN. I mean, I, I'm very interested as a matter of fact, to see how many noon games they even end up with honestly moving forward. So, um, it's just, and it's a big win for CBS too. I mean, that early afternoon slot is is huge. And I was doing a little bit of math and I was like, if you just look at the Big Ten, because a lot of people I think were crying and being like, oh, this is going to be the second best Big Ten game of the week, yada, yada. If you go through the Big Ten and, and you include USC and UCLA in there, you're talking about US, US, any any game, including any of the teams I'm about to list, like two of them is going to be a great game, even if it's the second game, or it's enough to draw eyeballs with like major brands, USC, UCLA, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State. Uh, I would even throw Nebraska and then Wisconsin probably in there too. Any combination of those eight teams, which is half of the league, (laughs) will, like, that's a great game any given week. So, uh, you know, the, there will be no shortage of quality brand name football going on in the Big Ten. And it's uh, it's pretty awesome. Great win for CBS. It's going to be going to be big wins. I believe the other contracts are closing in with our Fox for one of the windows. And then I feel like there was a third that I'm that's escaping me right now that they were also going to be be utilizing. But pretty cool. The Big Ten to go big and go national and still honestly kind of set the trend when it comes to how conferences are, you know, aligning themselves and uh, doing all this whole media rights song and dance. Well, and you just you just um, kind of hinted at, at another big piece, which is when you have eight teams that are of caliber, like you just mentioned, you're going to need more than four playoff spots if I'm a big, if yep. we're a 10 commissioner, which we are. And right. I'm going <clears> to <throat> thinking about how we're going to alter that. And I think I might do stuff on my own if people aren't listening to me and I might be able to do that because I have $350 million coming my way next year for one slot, just one. We still got the noon and the evening and you know what? Maybe we'll do some Friday night games. I don't know. Things might get weird, but you get how much money they are having where you get to start, stop asking questions and start telling people what you're going to do next. Yeah. And, and, And that's when you start to talk about the big 10, and SEC, like mega conferences, you know, getting way ahead of ourselves, pulling away, you know, doing your own AFC, NFC playoff situation. But anyway, long way off, but this was a first step. And uh, money talks. And like you said, revel in the fact that we aren't fans of like Oregon State or oh, man. or people who are just left, frankly, left, left out in the cold. So. Um, helps to win, though, to be a part of it. And MSU has done plenty of that. And because of that, Austin, the Cruton and the football world is good again. We <laughs> Welcome back. We took a break. We told everyone needed a break. And we did. We came back. And I don't want to say this recruit was out of nowhere, but it certainly was a little quieter of a recruitment than maybe some of the other ones so far, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and the, the guy you're talking about is four-star offensive tackle Stanton Rammel. Rammel? Rammel? We'll find out um, in a couple of years when he's playing. But he's a, a, a 
pretty darn solid offensive tackle recruit. Kid is massive. I want to say, well, let me just pull up his numbers here because I think it's worth reading his actual measurables. Uh, for all you Colton Pouncey stands, RIP to his MSU beat. Uh, the kid is six foot seven, 310 pounds, um, checks in in the top 200 nationally, uh, number 21 overall offensive tackle out of the state of Alabama. Yeah, that shouldn't be lost on people. The fact that MSU just went into literally Alabama and Auburn's backyard and took this kid. Now, that being said, Alabama can get whoever they want. And that's also. And they are doing so. But isn't that, let's talk about that for a second, because I want to acknowledge first, great get. This is like a three-year starter where we were talking yep. about one of the most important positions in on an offense. You know, you have solidified a part of the offense to a, to a point, and you got to just feel really, really good about that, because every year you don't get an elite offensive tackle is a year you have to wait until you want to be a big boy program. You just, it's, it's a fact. So can this guy be that? Um, Maybe you hope so. But I also want to mention, as you talk about Alabama, this kid was on a 13 and one team that won their second straight seven, a state championship. Like that's okay. And Alabama is still like, "Mm, I'm going to go. We don't need to like Alabama is at a point of recruiting where they don't like secure the home front. Like, you're so far past needing to make sure you get kids from Alabama. Like, that's where they're – that's not even, like, a thing. Like, you, you have you have evolved past the recruiting levels if you are not even trying to – I feel like a Michigan State was like, yeah, there's a top 200 kid in Detroit that I'm just not interested in. We're just going to pass on him. And that's just wild to me to, that, that they could be – I mean, the whole world is there – is their uh, backyard. <laughs> they, they have reached that level of absurdity when it comes to talent on a roster and, and appeal where it's, you could be like, they can go anywhere. It doesn't matter. They can go into Columbus, Ohio. They can go into LA. They can go into South Bend. They can yeah. go into Athens and they could pull kids. And it just doesn't, it doesn't matter. They're not the only ones who can do it, but it, it, it just doesn't matter. So to get, it is kind of absurd in a way. And it's funny if you look at the offensive tackle like rankings, they they already have two high four stars, uh, both kids in the top 14 uh, of offensive tackles available in the class. And number 19 is trending their way as well. So, I yeah, don't don't play, uh, you know, the violin just yet for Alabama. They're going to be doing just fine. But w- one thing to call out, especially with this is. <clears throat> You know, Rammel is the number 21 offensive tackle in the country. Like I said, he's he's, he's built like a perfect offensive tackle. It's a really important get for MSU, again, not because of just the positional importance and all the things you mentioned, but because they, like it or not, struck out on four or five guys that are ranked above Rammel. Now, that's not to say he's a plan B. He might have been, but they were shooting extremely high. I mean, again, you've got uh, MSU is deep in – you know, having guys visit or they were recruiting very hard. The number one player, Francis Mauagoa, uh, they're still very hard recruiting number three. This is, these are offensive tackle rankings. Samson Okunla, Okunlola, excuse me. Number six, Javen Williams, who committed to Penn State, they were talking to. Chase Basantis, number nine, committed to AM, they were very deep in with. Um, they're still talking to the, one of the offensive tackles, uh, who's number 15, Spencer Fanot, DJ Chester, number 16. And Miles McVay, number 19, is still kind of on the board for them. So, like, they were recruiting a lot of dudes that were ranked higher. 
And they're also uh, recruiting Peyton Kirkland, who's number 26, who had a pretty hysterical recruitment. But um, yeah, so Ramble's a big get, not just because of what he is, but because in context of what Michigan State was was doing. And, and you know, just again, context and stature matters and in like the um, perception of your program matters a lot on the recruiting trail. And so to to if MSU would have gone in and recruited, you know, seven of the top 21 and not gotten any of them, I think that says something. And that might actually, you know, have repercussions down the line. But they avoided that, which is amazing. Absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> it's really hard to recruit at the highest level. That's an obvious statement. But because you, your plan B guys are other people's plan A guys. Like exactly. That's, that that's just it. And and by the way, the Plan A guys. This is this was a Plan A guy for Tennessee. This is a Plan mm-hmm. A for Pitt. This is a Plan A guy for Auburn in Alabama. This is a Plan A guy for North Carolina. And those are programs that are kind of on the um, trying to break through as well, right? Mm-hmm. So when you can be, you know, say a guy is on your board and and you take. You just don't throw the whole kitchen sink at him back in March and April and June. And he waits for you. Like that says a lot about the status of your program or rather what the this recruit and probably others perception of your program is. Mm-hmm. I think there's value to that. So, uh, you know, who's to say what happens later in the uh, recruiting world? But there's another guy that's in probably in a similar situation that, that MSU is looking to land soon. Right. Yeah, and that's uh, defensive lineman, likely defensive. Well, could be a tackle, probably a nine. Uh, Jalen Thompson out of Detroit, Cass Tech. Um, those who follow recruiting are probably very familiar with Thompson. Uh, back when MSU hired Thomas Wilcher, his old head coach, a lot of people had him circled as a, a likely target for MSU. And in kind of a weird twist, um, Unless you seem to go away from him for whatever reason, again, kind of pointing back to the same things we were talking about. They're throwing the kitchen sink at these big five stars. David Hicks is still on the board for MSU. Um, Jaden Wayne, who's committed to Miami. You know, Etta, who is committed to Michigan, unfortunately. Uh, and a handful of other guys. MSU has been in recruiting those positions very heavily. Um, but Thompson, his stature as a recruit never really changed. Uh, you know, his... Uh, final four. Yeah, but, but I, before I say that, but MSU fans kind of put him in the background, like kind of yep. stop thinking about him because you're thinking about these five stars. But clearly, Michigan State's interest in him never fully went away. Um, but they're not the only power program that's out here recruiting him. I mean, his final four, he's set to announce on August 22nd. So that could be coming up in a couple of weeks. His final four are Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State. In Cincinnati, so three Big Ten power. Then you have two of two Big Ten powerhouses. MSU, obviously, we, we like to think they're in that category. Maybe not yet, but they're 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 ours. And then Cincinnati, a team that just made the playoff, and yet people are putting in confident crystal balls about him coming to Michigan State. I think that says a ton about Brandon Jordan and Marco Coleman and the things that they've been able to do, the relationships they've built, and kind of the genuine buzz around the program. And just to contextualize Jalen Thompson for you, he checks in at one number 195 on the composite uh, nationally. The guy who's only five spots ahead of him, 
one spot in the DL rankings is the guy that we've celebrated forever. We were so excited. Our, I believe he's our first or second commit. And that's Andrew DePay. The other yeah. defensive end is only one spot ahead of him in the rankings. So this is not just some plan C guy that you're taking to fill out a roster spot. This is a legitimate four-star talent who has offers and genuine interest from very high profile, high, heavy momentum programs. And so, you know, if you, if you can add him to the MSU uh, puzzle, you, you're, you're looking pretty darn good. And, and just as a reminder, John and I have talked about it, but if you want to build towards a national championship caliber program, which should be your, your big goal by 2025, you need to have roughly a top 15 class, or we believe a top 15 class in eight wins. Like that's the minimum to keep that as a viable, you know, goal that you might actually be able to accomplish. Um, MSU at this point is in, in, the realm of that from a recruiting perspective. And I think it's important to also lay something out. You'll see recruiting rankings, but I don't know that that when you say 15, top 15 is what you really want to pay attention to because that's so uh, influenced by the sheer number of recruits you get. Volume plays a critical role in the development of, of those rankings. But where I think MSU fans should focus, and really any fan, to be completely honest, is the roughly average recruit ranking because that shows the caliber of players that you're getting because your class might have 18 players but they're all high you know mid four stars so they might be the 18th best class because you have only 18 players but in reality if you have a top 12 to 10 average player recruit you can make a very strong case that your class is honestly on the whole better than several of the teams that are in front of you uh, because volume plays such a critical role so right now MSU sits at 17th, and this moves kind of by the day between when kids commit, but roughly 17th in average recruit ranking. So they are in the neighborhood, and that, I believe, is before Jalen Thompson were to commit. So, you know, I don't know exactly how many kids are going to be left to fill this class out, but if you add Thompson and then you've got, obviously, the regular season to kind of maybe flip a few kids and get more targeted and have guys, you know, shoot up the rankings, you know, I don't think this is – as wild a set of goals as maybe it, it sounded once upon a time. It's not. And <clears throat> for more context, we're talking about, you know, the type of kids that these guys are trying to get. If, if Jalen Thompson were to commit to Michigan state and officially sign, he'd be the 33rd best player in Michigan recruit in Michigan state history. He'd be the eighth best defensive lineman recruit in Michigan State history. Think about how many linemen are on a team every year, defensive line. Like the eighth best walking in. And again, take recruiting rings with a grain of salt. But directionally, they've proven to be correct. Directionally. Mm -hmm. So, like when you, you were, we were kind of saying, like, kid from Detroit, you know, maybe a kind of a, in the background recruiting because there were some bigger names on the board. He's still like the type of kid that's that Mellor. Tucker's recruiting is is just a different type of kid <laughs> that Michigan State fans are used to watching. And MSU has still won a lot of football games. You know, MSU is still the 26th uh, highest winning percentage of all time in, in FBS football. Like, it's still a winning program. And yet, we're just, like, all salivating. Like, man, what if we had just a few more star athletes? What would happen? Yeah. 
right? Like what would happen then? And that's kind of where we're sitting with Stanton, Ramel, Jalen Thompson, and, you know, the rest of this class, frankly, and just kind of just waiting to see like, what is it, what does the product look like, you know, a few mm-hmm. years? Yeah. Thompson also, before we move on, would be the 11th four star in the class. I mean, yeah. that's record for Michigan state in August. It's, it's insane. It's insane. I mean, again, as somebody who's followed Michigan state my entire life, you know, if you're a little newer to the game, maybe you're under the age of 28. I don't think you can appreciate that. Yeah, maybe when you compare it to the Alabamas of the world, this isn't that impressive. For Michigan State, this is this is crazy. This is a lot of talent that's coming in. And like you said, John, they've won a lot of games historically and in the not that recent past or not that distant past. Uh, and yet now they're getting these guys that are just coming in like the ball of clay that you have now is just a better ball of clay. They've shown they have the coaches that can mold just about anything. I think the ultimate example is getting Connor Hayward drafted. Like they, you got AJR Curie drafted. Imagine what they're going to do with with these guys like Stan Rammel and Jordan Hall and Cole Dellinger and Brendan Parachek that they're bringing in. I mean, it's just, it's exciting to think about where, you know, uh, the the rewards that you can reap here. And actually, before we move off recruiting, uh, I don't think we talked about our 2024 recruit last time. We did not. Yeah. So Michigan State building the momentum even further a year out, landing a top 85 talent in the class, wide receiver Nick Marsh out of River Rouge, River Rouge Michigan. Um this is a huge, incredible way to start your uh, recruiting class. To get a kid a full year and a half, basically, before he's going to school, um, after literally, okay, A, he's a top 85 kid in his class. Now, that can change. You know, could go up, could go down. Either way, you're talking about an extremely talented kid. For, the, for, for a little bit of context here, uh, by Job is the uh i believe he's the 71st yeah he's the 71st ranked kid in his class the next highest one MSU is getting is one is number 190 in andrew to so marsh is that type of staple talent for any class and he's the first to commit and he's from your home state and he plays an incredible a, a huge skill position which is amazing um the coolest part about this for me is that he camped at alabama that alabama on july 25th of this year <laughs> Uh, a month before that, he got a offer from Arkansas. He's getting offers from all over the place. But he camps at Alabama in Tuscaloosa on July 25th. He commits to Michigan State six days later. <laughs> it, like, this kid went to Alabama, yeah. saw everything they had to offer, which is literally everything, and still was like, I want to come home and I want to play for Michigan State. It's not going to happen all the time, but like to have even one story that you can tell like that should make people very, very excited because that class starting like that, we get excited about this class. We were excited about the last class, but if you can stack a good season together here, the the, the juice they've got on the recruiting trail, like, man, that could be, that could be a real bonkers one. But um, yeah, Nick Marsh, pretty exciting start to that class. It's it's funny because I feel like we've transitioned to um, like an NCAA football, the dynasty mode where you're like, oh, yeah, uh, do I even want to play the season or just 
like sim the games and keep you know building the dynasty i've been there so many times i know yeah. exactly what you're talking about yeah exactly and now here we are the season's upon us and you and i are both like oh that's fun that's good so how's that, uh how's that 2024 class looking boys <laughs> oh god all right it's bad we have a sickness but it's still exciting so speaking of big 10 media days took place um the the songbird that football is upon us right like this is mm-hmm. the official we're here we made it and you know you get to hear some some press clippings everyone says the same stuff but we all click in and, and listen anyway Peyton Thorne Jaden Reed Xavier Henderson were the team reps that was pretty expected the fun part to for me was that Pat Narduzzi during the ACC media days decided to spend a lot of his time um you know doing the the media car wash talking about the peach bowl and how they actually would have won which is <clears throat> i gotta tell you some pretty wild boy stuff to like talk about something and just be like well i actually we you know we would have won it's like that is the most loser mentality i've ever heard in my life is to talk about a game the last game you played not like decades ago when you're you're drinking with your buddies and you're like yeah man if only he had hit that shot we definitely would have won and everyone's like yeah 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 this is like a guy fully sober who is definitely like has anything in the world to talk about but decides to talk about his quarterback who's not there anymore his wide receiver who's not there anymore and how they would have beaten michigan state and i just thought mel tucker used his time when address when asked about it beautifully but austin i want you to use your time to talk about your thoughts on that well it is i think you you nailed it though it's just like such a loser mentality like why who does that benefit that doesn't make other players excited to come play for you that doesn't make your last team feel any better like that's just you rehashing old grievances for no real reason like it's the peach bowl yeah who, who who cares like Move on. I think we've moved on. We don't care. That's like my fifth favorite win from last year. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, so like, look ahead, Pat. Um, if you want to get mad about anything, get mad about Jordan Addison. We don't need your anger. Like be mad about keep keep your own house in order and then you know figure it out from there. So I you know it's it's too bad. Like I I have to wonder with no insight whatsoever. Like is he is there some bitterness towards mel tucker for one of multiple reasons like one because he's doing things so much differently than pat did when he was there and had success and maybe he feels like the program's changed a little bit um and maybe he feels like he's getting outshined uh whereas you know his his legend status is maybe getting overshined a little bit i don't know if that's the reason or you know i think it's fair to speculate whether pat was I don't think Pat was super involved in the hiring process in terms of like getting interviews or being reached out to or anything whenever she was looking for a head coach and a media said, said his name, but I'm not sure how closely he was tied into that. So um, maybe there's some bitterness on his part there too, but either way, just like a really dumb thing to say. It also just shows that you're stupid because like, why, like, you know, who else was missing from that game? Michigan state's best player which was their running back who should have been a Heisman finalist. Like, uh, you really want to do that? Like, and then your quarterback got hurt. Your backup quarterback got hurt. Like, whose fault is that? Like, that, you can't. That's a big like, piece. Like, whatever. That's a big piece for me is the excuse of, like, we were on our third string quarterback, and I'm going to stop you right there. 
what happened? Why? Why were you on your third string quarterback? Well, the first guy, uh, you know, was trying to protect himself and make some money. Great. Same with our running back. Cool. Right. Your second string running back. Well, he got hurt. How do you, why did that happen? What, who hurt him? Well, your defense. Okay. So, right. <laughs> so the game was played and that's how football works is people get hurt, you know, when they do like they play and that's part of it. So you lost, like, there's no, like, well, if he didn't right. get hurt, it's like, well, that's not football. People get hurt every game, unfortunately. It's not sports. It's not any of that. Like, it's just making excuses. And I will say one thing. Like, I don't mind him saying that stuff in the privacy of his own locker room to, like, fire his boys up. Like, I have no issue with that. Because realistically, like, if I'm a Pitt fan, I'm furious that we lost that game. I've probably moved on by yeah. now, but that would have – they should they should be mad. Because you know who they should be mad at? Not Michigan State. Pat no, themselves. They should be mad at their coaching staff for saying, how did we lose to that team? And I'm sorry that I'm coming down on ours a little bit. No, but deserved. I mean, they were a – they got the most you could out of them. Let's just put it that way. Like, there was no more juice to squeeze out of that. And then you look at the Purdue game, and you're like, could you – could they have won in 12 games? It's like, maybe, but it would be too much to ask, right? It's it's they got so much out of that talent pool that they had. So, yeah, Pat Narduzzi should be the the sole person that they direct. Well, they, it's if you want to get mad about a game, get mad about losing to Western Michigan when yeah. you were completely healthy. Like it's just sour grapes and it makes you look, you know, kind of like petty. And it's just it's just an ugly look from a guy that I don't think anybody in Michigan State has anything bad to say about ever until he just I think there's a huge contingent of the fan base that had they that a wanted to hire Pat Narduzzi and b would have been beyond thrilled had they done that I think we're all very happy and it it would make us all feel very silly now thinking that way but um there's nothing but and I don't think this like overshadows everything he did or changes his place in MSU history but you know, it's a, a couple things. Hey, you chose to leave. It's true. You 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 could have stayed if you wanted to. Like, I don't know. But uh, one thing he said, and then we can move on to the media stuff. Um, he said, if that's one of the best teams in the Big Ten, let's go play there and, and <laughs> win it every year. Pat, I, the same way you never want Bama, you don't. You don't. You don't want that. You'd be in the East. You'd be competing with Maryland to be the fifth best team in the division. Like you don't, you don't, you don't mean that. So I'll, I'll, I'm willing to overlook that. But that was the one that came off as just like, wow. <laughs> like, you really think you're pretty good. You lost four games last year. <laughs> it's like let's just slow down a little bit. And also, while we're here, plus three in a row to Penn State. So like yeah. that team finished fourth in the Big Ten East last year. So maybe just calm down with the we would win the Big Ten stuff when you lost to two Big Ten East teams last year alone, I think. No, 2019, yeah. they played Penn State last. doesn't matter. Lost to Western, which is worse. So. Yeah. yeah, that's so, so, so much worse. And also you lost to, didn't they? I think they lost to Clemson one of the times they played them. They lost to Wake, too. And it's like, oh, yeah, relax. You don't get to, you don't get to 
pretend you're a big boy when you go and lose to Clawson's Wake Forest team, which is like the scrappiest group. Like you thought the right. state team was ragtag to 11 wins. Wake Forest is like the most. Insane. We took their best player and they still did that. So, um, yeah. but yeah, John, now that we're done talking about Pat Narduzzi, uh, the rest of media days, some polls came out. Yes. What do you think? Well, Every year, Cleveland.com kind of does this uh, unofficial you know, media day poll. And I, I should, I just want to put it on record that of the 11 times they've done this, <laughs> the beat writers have only got it right three times. <laughs> That's not good. That's, That's bad. <laughs> they're very bad at this. And, and especially in a conference that has Ohio State, like it's yeah. very difficult to only get it right three times. That said, uh, the results are in. I think we should do the West first. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way it was voted, I'll go bottom up. You know, seventh, uh, Northwestern, six, Illinois, five, Nebraska, four, Purdue, three, Minnesota with two first place vo- votes, two, Iowa with three first place votes, and one, Wisconsin with 31 first place votes. Um, before you react, give you a tidbit. The Big Ten West had a poll with every single of the seven teams uh, finishing it with at least one third place vote. That's pretty, that's, I mean, that's a lot of parody. It's a lot of uh, disagreement. I think that's good. Um, this will be one of the more fun divisions, I think, in all of college football to watch because I wake up every day and think I could make a case for five of the seven teams to win it next this year. What do you think? I think it'll be fun college football there are a fun division if you really love college football. Boy, like the, it, not watching the games. Don't watch the game. That's for sick us. If you don't appreciate the the chaos and the punting and the stupid turnovers and the bad refing and like all of those beautiful things that make college football what it is, if you don't like that, like if you're strictly an NFL person, it'll be your ultimate case for being like, they shouldn't play this sport. It's like with college basketball and the NBA. It's like you watch the college basketball, yeah. like this is not the same game. Right. Um, Great point. Great. I think Wisconsin being the runaway favorite doesn't bother me at all. I think they should be the de facto favorites or the most talented team in that division or certainly one of the two. Um, and they've proven that, you know, they're kind of like Mich- they're Michigan light. They're going to run the ball down your throat a million times, and then they'll find ways to choke away one or two bad games, whereas Michigan historically hasn't really choked away bad losses. They just lose teams that are better than them. Wisconsin is kind of the other way around. Um, now, them getting 31 first-place votes when Ohio State only got 36 means there's 31 idiots that are voting on this. The fact that every single first-place vote did not go to Ohio State shows me that the Big Ten writers watched their team, and they watched their team only. And they just or maybe they stopped watching games in like 1997 because Ohio State is just far and away the best team in this in this conference. But to stick in the West, I actually think I'm going to go out on a pretty big limb, probably one of the bigger limbs I've gone out to since we've been doing the show. And that's that I think Nebraska is the only team within this division that can realistically challenge Wisconsin for the for the title. as I look at wow. the three teams, For them, yeah, that, that, that's a big statement. This is, again, they were picked fifth 
by all the yeah. writers. So, so that's a big statement. So they went three and nine last year, which might make you think like that's insane. How could they jump up and compete with Wisconsin? I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying like of these five teams, of the other of the four, Iowa, Minnesota, Purdue, Nebraska, Nebraska is easily my pick. They lost those nine games by a combined 56 points and not against just – so that's just for you math whizzes out there. It's a little <laughs> under seven points a game. Less than a touchdown. Nine times. And that includes so many heartbreaking losses. I can't even – like I can't even explain it. I think like scientists will research the 2021 Nebraska football season like it's a fossil that they found buried. Like it's – it's impossible the way they lost these games. I mean, Michigan State, case in point, like they lost on that punt return. That's insane. We they didn't have a first down in the second half. Yeah, I don't. Think. They should have won that game by <laughs> a ton. They lost to Michigan by three. They they the game they lost to Iowa is unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. Uh, they should have won that game by two scores. Um, and they ultimately, the hater in me says they got rid of Adrian Martinez. And they upgraded to Casey Thompson, who I think is going to be a much better player. Well, um, just not nearly as like, okay. I don't know if anyone could be as volatile as Adrian Marcy. Exactly. Like you just have a, like a sane person back there. And this team should be at, at least a seven win team. Now, again, that's not going to have them compete for the division, but I'm just saying like they were a normal sober person away from and not to say that not Adrian Martinez I'm not insinuating anything there but like they were a regular person away from being second in this in this division it's it's incredible it's it's incredible this is a guy that every fifth play someone was scoring whether it was your team or Nebraska with Martinez at quarterback someone was gonna score (laughs) it was just absolute chaos man so I so to have him out of there is I think a very good thing for them. They got some great transfers, especially along the defensive line, like O'Shawn Mathis from uh, TCU is a great get for them. A couple other ones on the offensive side. They should be a very good team. Wisconsin, I think, is a little a little suspect this year. It's always because of the quarterback play. I mean, they should have a great offensive line. They should be able to run the ball. I think their defense probably takes a step back, and their defense is what's really been great for them the last handful of years. And then those other three in the middle, like Iowa was the for as unlucky as Nebraska was, Iowa was every bit as lucky on the just in all of the opposite ways. Oh, yeah. It's just yep. astonishing that they did what they did. Minnesota, I just won't believe it until I see it. Uh, same with Purdue. I just I'm just not sure I buy it from either of them until I I see it myself. That's a great point. So Minnesota was picked to finish anywhere from first to fifth, and Iowa received three first place votes and, and a seventh place vote. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And then Purdue, Nebraska, and Illinois were all picked as high as second and all as low as seventh. So Mm -hmm. when I said it'll be a fun division, maybe not aesthetically, but the, (laughs) just the fact that it could be so, I mean, when you talk about like, we did 50,000 simulations and here are the results, like every simulation is going to be wildly different. (laughs) There is no average. No, absolutely not. And so quickly, because I'm just going to put you on the quick spot, because ne- talking Nebraska football is hysterical. And first, do you remember uh, the SB Nation Corn Nation guy who would do post-game videos? And, I think so. Okay, so, and I don't mean to pick on him. I just think he's like a super awesome fan for doing post-game videos throughout that season, because I just don't think I could do it. 
like I don't think I would I think I'd probably just be like you know what maybe I'm just not as into this as I thought I was because I'm not going to put myself out to the public and have them see how I'm reacting to this you know and he was in his bathroom chewing on a towel and screaming into it so he wouldn't upset his family like and he did that nine times last year and I don't think that crazy so quickly I'm going to put you on the spot I'm going to walk you through Nebraska's schedule quickly and and you tell me how confident you are in this though yeah northwestern in ireland to open the season you feel I'm good to say yeah eight out of ten i feel good about that one okay but again would you also be shocked if they lost no that was just thinking about like should like should i put a cap on how confident i really am because like i i don't think i can realistically go over an eight because of what i witnessed happen last year exactly then you got north dakota at i hope if there's a game, yeah, yeah, yes, they should win. I'll, yeah. I'm going to say it's should or should not. Oh, yeah, should, should. Okay, should. should or should. And then G- Georgia Southern. Should. And then, and then home against Oklahoma. No. Okay, should not. So now we're we're three and one. Mm-hmm. Home against Indiana. Night should. Game. Four and one. At Rutgers. Should. Five and one. At Purdue. Oof. Uh, I'll throw that. Uh, no, should they should win that game? Yeah, six and one home against Illinois. Should seven and one home versus Minnesota. Should eight and one at Michigan. Loss eight and two home against Wisconsin. Loss eight and three at Iowa. I'll throw that one in there as a loss too. But so that's eight kind and four. Of fall apart down the start. Eight and four though. So you're right. You're yeah. knocking at the door of that conference if you don't fall apart down the finish line. Here. So I'm yeah, sure. I mean you've got your biggest games at the end of the season too. Like they could easily yep. beat Iowa. They could, sure. you know. I think I don't. Th- they almost beat Michigan last year. I mean, none of these are like wild yeah. things to say. Yeah. All right, let's go to the Big Ten East. Um, so I'll go from the bottom up. Indiana seventh. Man, have they fallen back so fast though, right? Yeah. Whoa. I just feel like. And maybe, you know, maybe there's something they have that no one else sees, but it just fell apart quickly. Uh, Then sixth, Rutgers. Fifth, Maryland. Fourth, Michigan State. Three, Penn State. Two, Michigan. One, Ohio State. Ohio State gets every one of the first place votes. So how do you feel about those? I think that's pretty fair, to be honest with you. Um, Can I can I disagree? I don't think it's fair to put Penn State behind ahead of Michigan State after the past two seasons. That was going to be the only beef that I had if I had anything. I mean, unless you beat them head to head, didn't lose a ton. And one thing is they, they were picked 14th in the coaches poll and Penn State wasn't ranked. I know I know these things aren't don't matter, but I think it's interesting that there's such a gap between the media and mm-hmm. the the coaches. So, yeah, and and to be fair, they're they're only separated by 7 points within right. this. So there's clearly a, a, uh, a lumping together of these two, but I, I mean, I would tend to agree with you. So anything jump out to you here um, for these one through seven or disagree? I don't really disagree with any of it. I mean, I think it's very possible that, um, no, I mean, Ohio state deserves every first place vote. I'm a little surprised nobody just out of sheer momentum picked Michigan, but I'm glad to see that 
common sense prevailed a little bit. Um, I think two through four could happen in any order. I wouldn't be, you know, that's Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State. I wouldn't be shocked by any finish between those three. Um, I actually think Maryland has a chance to jump up to four and maybe even flirt with a little bit higher. But I think for the most part, they got this pretty, pretty right. So a few housekeeping notes. Rutgers, who is, again, sixth, the only team not to receive a vote for at least fourth place. So everyone thought they'd be fifth through seventh. Uh, Michigan State received votes to finish as high as second and as low as sixth in this poll. Wow. It's a little shocking to me. That's sixth surprising. Be just to me. Uh, but, hey. Uh, I, I think anything below four, to, to predict anybody, any of those bottom three finishing in front of them is a pretty bold claim. Yeah, especially, like, again, don't get me wrong. Michigan State did lose some key players and their best player, but as you and I have been talking about all summer, they, they are a better overall roster, and I just don't see Definitely. teams that they bested last year making a bigger jump on their rosters than MSU did. So agree. So, all right, with that, the championship predictions, Ohio State over Minnesota, there were two of those, three Ohio States over Iowa, and 31 Ohio States over Wisconsin. I feel like this would be the 31st consecutive Ohio State versus Wisconsin game, even though they haven't. Did you know Wisconsin hasn't been there? He's only been there once out of the last four years, I think. Really? Is that is that a crazy stat? Did I just make that stat up? No, because I knew Northwestern was one of them. Iowa was one of them. Was Nebraska the other? Uh, let's just go with my stats being right no matter what. Okay, I am the I'm big coach. So, you know, I'm going to go back. So. I'm going to scrub the results no matter what. So, <laughs> no, let's take a look. So, uh, Michigan beat Iowa. Ohio State beat Northwestern. Ohio State beat Wisconsin. Ohio State beat Northwestern. So, yeah, they haven't only one of the last four years. They kind of get well, this def- default thing, and maybe they shouldn't. You know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, I think that's yeah. entirely fair. This year, though, I would default to them. Yeah. But I tell you, if there's a dark horse, I'm, I'm rolling with Nebraska. It's, it's not a bad pick. Um, should we jump to – because we realized it was August 9th or <laughs> today. And we man, we should be doing some previews of uh, each of the position groups. <laughs> So with that, we'll jump right in. We'll do the defensive line and linebackers today. And there was a reason for that. Austin, uh, walk us through why we chose this, these two together. Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, it's probably the position group that has been the most exciting in terms of additions, at, both on the coaching staff and the player front this offseason. So I want to start with a big one. But really, I think one of the, the interesting parts here is that you hear the term front seven a lot. This is really going to be a front six. And I think one of the, the biggest points of interest with this team is how are they going to utilize this group? I mean, is it going to come out in a 3-3-5 front? Is it going to be more 4-2-5, which is more of what we saw last year with a kind of a, a nickel, you know, coming down like Darius Snow coming down. Uh, and playing in the box. We saw it with Michael Dowell in the past. So there's really just a lot of variability between how things are going to get used, or, you know, deployed up front. Um, and quite honestly, this is this is maybe in tandem. So I guess it's really the entire defense. But, you know, the biggest problem area last year was the fact that MSU just got scorched in the passing game time and time again. And that's a function of two things. One, uh, corners just not being in, in, in defensive 
backs just not being as talented Two, a little bit of a scheme to kind of allow for, for some of that uh, and kind of play bend, but don't break. And then um, three, the pass rush wasn't consistently what it needed to be. Now they ended up with, I think, 42 sacks on the year, which is a high number raw data wise, but they faced almost 600 passing attempts. So this is just, uh, I mean, quarterbacks are dropping back and for over 535 of those times, they didn't get touched. Uh, that's a lot of clean pockets. Yeah, when you put it that way, 535, yeah. they stayed clean. Uh, yeah, you got to step it up there, right? Yeah, and they hired for it. I mean, I think you saw Michigan State address it, like I said, not only with the players, which we'll talk about with the coaches. Brandon Jordan, you've heard his name a million times at this point. He's there as a pass rush coach, working with everybody in this group, not just the defensive line, but the linebackers as well, which is why we wanted to lump part of the reason we wanted to lump these together. And also Marco Coleman was hired from Georgia Tech to be the defensive line coach, uh, replacing Ron Burton. Um, we've already seen that pay dividends on the recruiting trail with the Georgia recruiting, but what he brings as a former NFL player, first round pick, George, Georgia Tech Hall of Fame. I mean, this guy knows what he's talking about. So between the two, you'd like to see a big step forward. Um, now, in terms of players that are being lost, there are some highly productive guys that uh, I think were fan favorites that are leaving. Jacob Panashuk and Drew Beasley uh, are, are not going to be on the team moving forward. They've exhausted their eligibility. But one thing to say about these guys, uh, before we get into who's coming back and who has been added, I want to give them all the credit in the world for absolutely maxing out their ability and making the most of their time at Michigan State. Drew Beasley was a walk-on and he became a integral part of that defensive line rotation by the time he was a senior. Jacob Panashuk was honestly like kind of an afterthought after his brother, and he turned into the best pass rusher they had uh, last year. So start with a major, major tip of the cap. Absolutely. That being, that being said, these are the types of guys that Mel Tucker will not recruit. You will not see Jacob Panashuk's and Drew Beasley's on this roster if Mel Tucker has anything to say about it. Um, and again, that's not a slight on them. It's just a simple fact of what we've already seen manifest itself. These guys gave everything they had. They were very D'Antonio-era players. The guys getting brought in are Mel Tucker-era players. And that includes uh, starting up with what would probably be a starting defensive end and Chris Bogle. Former top 75 recruit defensive end from Florida. Kid is built like a freaking freight train. Um, expected to get after the quarterback. And the other big addition is Alex Van Samarin. Ben Van Samarin's younger brother, top 200 recruit defensive tackle out of the state of Michigan. How, how much he factors in his freshman year will be interesting, but that's the type of depth that they're, they're trying to build. Um, now, if you look at the quote-unquote linebackers, you lost Quiveris Crouch. That's a big deal. Um, strictly from a talent perspective. Crouch was, I mean, again, you want to compare what old defense looked like to what new defense looked like, strictly in terms of what players you have out there. Quiveris Crouch is, I think you saw him jump off of the page from an athleticism standpoint uh, compared to his, his former teammates. Um, he's gone. I think that's not going to end up being the worst thing because they A, they've added players to replace him and B, he uh, was known to freelance, which I don't think is necessarily um, something the coaches loved. Among us uh, at work, sometimes just choosing a different route. The creative, I don't know. creative route. I get it. And I want him to be able to explore that for himself. And I hope he finds success. Uh -huh. um, however, 
He's gone. Michigan State is bringing in some new faces, including Jacoby Winman, who's coming uh, over from UNLV. He played defensive end for a couple seasons, but moved to linebacker, and he had the 13th most tackles in the, in the country with 119 last year and six and a half sacks. Then you also have Aaron Brule uh, from Mississippi State. Um, played 40 career games for the Bulldogs, had 141 tackles, 17 and a half tackles for loss and seven and a half sacks. I think the cool thing about these two, the interesting thing about these two is whether you consider them linebackers or edge rushers, we're not really sure. I think the, the, the really intriguing part is that they are chess pieces more than anything else. I wouldn't be surprised if they both spent time with their hands in the dirt, if they spent both spent times uh, in a two-point stance, uh, right up on the line, if they drop back in coverage, um, there's really no telling what how they'll be utilized. And that, from a defensive standpoint, is a very big deal because I think one of the things that MSU struggled with was being very uh, predictable in where pass rushes were coming from, in how much space the corners were giving, and, and, and a lot of other you know kind of common elements of the defense. But by getting multi- pieces that can play multiple positions and do it well and get after the quarterback from any of them, you now have to make quarterbacks think more. And it gives you more ability to play your corners closer up to the line uh, and not have to play that bend, but don't break, but play that more. We are going to be a little more in your face. And we'll talk about the defensive backs later on in another episode, but uh, they should also help with that. But it's an exciting group of newcomers um, uh, in this front six and it's um, it's a big deal. I mean, this group is going to dictate a lot of the success or failure of this defensive unit, which will dictate a lot of the success or failure of the team. Is there anything you wanted to add before I move on? Uh, yeah, I mean, let's let's quick talk about the the ads that were made. And you talked about <clears throat> Quaverius Crouch leaving, but you know, getting some equal or you know a- athletes that might not freelance as much. I think when we were talking about if it, if you want to compete at the highest level, can can this? I think the question we always ask when you're talking about linebackers is, could he could he defend Brock Bowers? And <laughs> and I say that because it's unfair. It's an unfair thing to ask. But is we you know the tight end for Georgia, who is what six four or six five two thirty runs a four point five, key part of their Georgia offense, and he's an NFL first round pick. Unfortunately, yeah, you, you know, if you want to play at that highest level, that's what you need your linebackers to be able to, maybe not comfortably, but be able to do without looking silly. And and I think MSU has done a much better job of bringing in talent immediately that I don't want to say could do that immediately, but are in a much better position to do it than, say, past units we've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would so, agree. So, yeah, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. That's, that's it. I mean, I, like, it's unfair, but he, I, that's kind of how we do it with every position. You know, like, who's the best player in the country at that position? So, yep. or at the opposite side. Can our guy, like, not embarrass himself? And the goal is to, you know, get 22 of that and maybe even be better than a couple or even have a couple of the best guys. But that's a long yep. way out. Anyway. Yeah, and that's a big ask no matter who you are, but you're right. You have to compare yourself to the best if that's what you want to be. And I think luckily for Michigan State, you know, some of these players that are returning, it's not just about the guys that were added and left. They're returning a lot of really, not just functional, but like 
high-end talent. I think especially as you look at the guys that will be doing a lot of the hard work down in the middle of the defensive tackles, Jacob Slade and Simeon Barrow is about as good a defensive tackle combo as you're going to find uh, in the Big Ten. I mean, Jacob Slade is on the Outland Trophy and Lombardi Trophy watch list, second-team All-American and first-team Big Ten, All-Big Ten player. I mean, that's a, that is an anchor that your entire defense can play off of. And then he's playing alongside Simeon Barrow, who you heard Brian Green, the Washington State, Washington State uh, offensive line transfer. Uh, he highly complimented Barrow in a couple of interviews recently, saying, like, you don't find a lot of guys with the type of speed and power that Simeon has. And to have that next to Slade on your first line def- on, on defense is, is, awesome, is really pretty, pretty unbelievable. And then behind them, you've got maybe the deepest position group on the entire team. Yep. Maverick Hansen and Jalen Hunt will probably get a decent amount of play. Uh, and then behind them, you've got Vance Merrin, who we already talked about. Deshaun Mallory, who's been around for a long time and has proven he can be explosive, explosive when he's healthy. And then you have Derek Harmon, who is a massive human being, a 330-something pound defensive tackle who can really plug up some space down there. Um, you've got – you go a legitimate, like, six to seven deep with that unit uh, and it, it's it's pretty exciting to think about the, the way that they could utilize that depth and keeping them fresh throughout the game is going to be a, a big deal. And then, you know, on the edges, uh, you've got Jeff Petrowski, who was great last year. Yeah. Uh, he, he's probably going to get, honestly, with the, the, the addition of some of these new guys, they'll probably get a lot more one-on-one looks. And we saw last year he can win those when he's given them. Um, and then some other exciting names. The, the two I want to call out, or Brandon Wright, who's kind of everybody's, you know, sexy pick. But we saw legitimate flashes from him. And that kind of speed as like a fifth option from a pass rusher perspective is pretty awesome to see. It'll be interesting to see how they weaponize him. But the name I want to keep an eye on is Zion Young. He's a true freshman, leaves from Ohio. I've seen nothing from him except for the before and after pictures of him from high school to what I'm seeing now. This kid is enormous, and he looks every bit the part of an immediate impact defensive end. Now, don't know if that'll happen. No idea. But when you want, like, what you want out of a defensive end is a guy with long arms who can engage uh, on the outside and use and transition speed into power. Zion Young is six foot five and a half and checks in on his recruiting profile at 230 pounds. There's no way this kid's below 245, just based on his his photos that you've seen uh, from fall practice. He has when we talk about what Mel Tucker recruits, this is the type of guy that Mel Tucker is trying to recruit. Like the 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 frame is all there and he's not going to get forced into duty. I'd be shocked if he's not playing in four games. Even if they try to preserve his red shirt, he's going to play in four games down the stretch. Um, I think he's going to put real pressure on Michael Fletcher, Avery Dunn, and some of these other guys that are even uh, Tank Brown uh, for snaps because he looks just physically like he's ready to go right away. So, Austin, it's, it just kind of reminds me of going the way back machine when we were uh, previewing, maybe it was like the 2018 team, and it was like, and at defensive end is um, some someone called Kenny Willikus, and, <laughs> and you're going to need him to uh, be pretty good. And I don't yep. you know, who knows, 
never seen him play uh, as a walk-on, and that's a big thing to ask. You know, and obviously that worked out really well. The reason I bring that up is because you've listed off a handful of people. You don't need one guy to just like be good out of nowhere. You have right. a bunch of options that maybe 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 they all pop. You know, but but you only need them all to. You only need one to, and you can be mm-hmm. in shape. So I just think that the you know the depth as you talked about the defensive line in general. Well, and and linebackers, frankly, it's probably the deepest deepest group um, in the entire uh, squad. So, so do you do you agree with that, or what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I would say that is probably a fair assessment. I mean, the wide receivers might have something to say about that, but they're a little less proven, I would say. But um, I mean, we haven't even talked about some of the guys at linebacker. We talked about Winman and Brule, but what about Cal Halliday? <laughs> freshman all-american last year never looked out of place i mean was uh i'm sure he'll be a captain uh if not this year then soon and i would expect him still to play the same type of role he did before i think that's one of the advantages of brule and windman is they can play different positions and let halliday do his thing and he was great last year um and then the depth at linebacker is exciting i think darius snow coming down and playing linebacker full-time is a Pretty exciting development. It's probably where he always should have been, and he more or less played it at nickel last year. But I don't think he should be covering wide receivers. And I think we all kind of agree on that. So him coming down to linebacker brings some extra versatility. Um, you talk about covering tight ends. He should be able to do that. And then guys in the back part of this rotation that honestly were like the bells of the ball last year that we haven't talked about yet. Tank Brown and Ma Gaotaote. Like, these are – one of the biggest transfers we got last year and the best trans, uh, commit in last year's class. Like in, in, in Ma's case, a kid that went in the portal and came out like a week later because he wanted to be there. Ben Van Samir and another guy in this rotation did the same thing. I mean, you, if you get the potential out of these two guys, two like mid to high four-star recruits that are currently sitting at third string in the linebacker rotation, imagine – what that could do if they can just bring something to the table. And I think just to put a bow on this whole conversation, this depth, when you can go three lines back on your depth chart and say, oh, these are like legitimate players, uh, almost all the way to the fourth line. If you're talking about Vance and Marin, who's probably fourth in the defensive group, defensive tackle rotation, like what that does at a practice and just from a Alex, what you were saying? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Alex Vance and Marin. But from a, like the caliber of player that you are used to playing against now as an offensive lineman, as a defensive lineman, the guys that you're competing against to get playing time, that's, that's how you build a great culture and how you build a great program is having that competition and practice every day. And we're seeing depth that I don't think we've ever really seen before, or at least not in a long time at Michigan State. So it's, this is a group that it, it is critical that they are successful in getting after the quarterback. And if they are, you know, because they need to be able to dictate more than they did last year because they were dictated to every single game. They need to be able to flip that on its head and do some of the dictating because if they don't, similar problems will arise. But if they do and they combine that with a secondary playing a little bit tighter and not giving those eight yard cushions that they gave every single time last year because they knew the pass rush wouldn't get home, you're going to see a completely different looking defense so i'm i'm actually very excited and and i would say all in all pretty optimistic about it glad we could start on such a positive note here 
as we do position previews. Uh, and we'll get to the secondary. We're going to save them maybe for next time. Any other closing thoughts before we take a commercial break and transition to hoops? I don't know, man. If I had to pick an MVP of this group, I'm going with Simeon Barrow. I think Barrow's got the chance to pop and maybe leave early for the NFL. So I'll keep an eye on him. Wow. That's yeah. big time, <clears throat> That's just how I feel. He's going to be a stud, man. That's just how I feel. Let me just, say this through. <laughs> that's, who, that's who I am, John. Oh, man. Well, uh, kickoff can't come fast enough. Let's take a commercial break, and then we'll jump back because um, something we've been uh, sandbagging on, we, we got to address. Yep. All right. Three, two, one. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Then we're back. John, there was never a doubt, was there? Oh, my basketball son. <clears throat> I never wavered in my confidence. <laughs> Not for a minute. This is called parenting. You'll learn that one day if you decide to be a parent. We, were, we negged you publicly for a long time. And guess what it made you do? Succeed and hit your highest level. Some would thank us for that, actually. And shame on everyone else who, unlike yeah. us, who were doing it because we knew deep down he was going to succeed. Um, we were just I feel kidding. very, I feel like very Doctor Strange. I've gone into the future and seen a thousand, oper- a thousand ways that this plays out. How many, of, how many of them do we win? Just one. <laughs> so it's like me holding up the one finger. The only way... And Tom Izzo was ever going to land these recruits was by was us doing what we had to do, which was just publicly doubt him, go down a very deep shame spiral, and come out the other end with what's probably going to be a top three class. I didn't like it. Yeah, didn't you think I enjoyed that? I did that for everyone. That's my point. And we are so excited because as of today, it would appear that Tom Izzo is as close to locking up his 2023 recruiting class as you could get. He will have his fourth recruit added, the third since we spoke last. And for context, there are three Big Ten programs without a 2023 commit yet, Illinois, Michigan, and Northwestern. So uh, Izzo can focus on uh, other things, what those are, uh, hopefully are getting this group for the 2022-23 season at the highest year possible. But before that, let's take a walk through these three commits, Austin. Um, And maybe we'll go in in order of when they signed. I think for now, let's just, you pick, because they're all so fun. We could spend too much time on all of them. Okay. Um, Let's start with, let's start with Garrick Norman. Let's do it. So, uh, Four-star, uh, 89th in his class. Uh, I think the fun part about 
this kid is that he was Wisconsin's plan A guy for the last year and a half. No, no embellishment there. <laughs> He's the guy that they want. And in 48 hours, Michigan State uh, put the full court press to get him and landed him. And I just couldn't, it couldn't be, happen to a, a worse program than Wisconsin. <laughs> I could not be happier it happened to them. And I think the other part is Matt McQuaid led this recu- recruitment, which might not shock you if you learned that Norman is from Texas. Uh, they are a similar size and they're both three-point specialists. And so McQuaid is on the staff and I'm sure he walked into Izzo's office and said something along the lines of, how can I best contribute to this um, program? And, and he said, go find you. But in <laughs> And he was like, you know what? I can do that. And say no more, comes back and leads the recruitment to land this kid. And uh, you couldn't be happier because this is one of the, you know, a piece that Michigan State would need for that next year's team to, to really compete at the highest level. Yeah, I've, I had fun uh, watching some of his tape. And I, I think the Wisconsin uh, component of this is it shouldn't be lost on people because he is the type of guy to me in watching his tape that you would absolutely hate playing against for four years, but are going to love because he's on your team. Um, like you said, he's got a lot of Cueto in his game, really pretty looking jump shot. Um, but he's got bounce. Like he he's got a little bit more athleticism, I think, in his game naturally than Cueto really did, uh, which is exciting because he really is, you know, in Michigan State system, a small forward and shooting guard are kind of interchangeable. They're both just kind of wing players. Um, I think he could comfortably play either of those and uh, looks like a guy that could probably contribute, I would imagine, in his true freshman year. Um, but yeah, it's. Like you said, the quick turnaround, the ability to keep him away from a huge rival of yours that's been putting the full court press on him for a long time is pretty pretty darn exciting. And I I don't think it's a coincidence that this next guy that we're going to talk about committed just a few days before him and, and honestly might have influenced not only the guy Norm we just talked about, but the guy we're going to talk about after. So saying all that, Xavier Booker. Uh, committed to Michigan State kind of out of not out of nowhere but like a little bit unexpectedly I don't think it's crazy to say that this is the biggest recruit Izzo's landed in I'd have to think back a little bit but like in some time probably since the Miles Bridges class I think what not not only because of who Xavier Booker is but what he, I think, sort of symbolizes and the momentum he gives to Izzo's second title quest. So you might look at Booker's, you know, national ranking, see number 58 on the composite and think, okay, like, is this really that impressive? It's important to look into what makes up that composite because it entails scores from several different services, one of which is ESPN, which currently has Xavier Booker unranked because they haven't updated their rankings in so long, which is why you should never look at ESPN's college basketball or football recruiting services. If you take that out, he is ranked, I believe it's number three by 24-7, number one by rivals, and I think number six by on three. This kid is a unanimous 
aside from ESPN, top six recruit at worst in the entire country. Once ESPN updates the rankings, I'm sure it'll go even higher. He's the number one power forward in the class, according to uh, 24-7. He's a 99 overall, the number three player in the country, according uh, to 24-7. I think if you're looking for comparisons, it's probably a Jaron Jackson-y type of comparison for body type, but um, he's got a little bit more of a face-up game than Jaron ever really did. And I think, but he can also block shots, maybe not at that prolific level, but uh, he is a, he is a tentpole statement recruit to, that I'm quite honestly, I'm not sure a lot of people thought Izzo had one of these left in his uh, left, one of these left in his bag. So um, he'll be a unanimous five-star soon. Like I said, top five recruit, just a huge, huge pull, especially considering the guys that were uh, also in the in the race for him. Yeah, he's a really unique kid for a lot of reasons. You mentioned it was a little unexpected. Not unexpected that he picked Michigan State, but that it just he was done with the recruitment process and it's just like, yeah. I need to do this. And I think that's what took everyone a little off um, balance because a lot of people felt that Izzo had been on him for so long and was potentially in the lead, but you know he was fending off lots of people who were coming in maybe late to the party. And one of the reasons Booker wanted to stay with Michigan State or sign with Izzo is because Izzo wasn't late to the party. And it shouldn't be noted that Xavier Booker is truly unique in that he, it's so hard to be a top five player in the country and also have not been a big contributor on your high school team, your freshman or sophomore years. Like that is, that is really rare. And he came out, he, he's come along so fast. Um, and Izzo has been there along the way. So you could argue like Tom saw something that a lot of other people didn't. And furthermore, Xavier uh, struggled in a game uh, last summer. He was held scoreless. And when that scared off of some of the, bigger dogs from him. Izzo was not only there, but calling him and, and offering to go through the tape with him. And, and I think that speaks to kind of one, how badly time Izzo wanted him and could see through, you know, the anomaly of a game in his basketball mind, but two, just kind of the guy um, Izzo is to, to take the time to do that with somebody. And especially when their confidence is at probably an all-time low. And so uh, I think that's that's really cool. And, and I, to take it further, he, he didn't play uh, on the, what's called the shoe circuit, you know, the ones that are sponsored mm-hmm. by Adidas, Under Armour. He took a different path, and he was on, on George Hill, uh, world champion George Hill's uh, AAU team. And you know, that, that's an, in, an independent AAU organization that is really cool. And New York Times did a really awesome write-up about it. And he's just a different path kind of kid. And is just dominating on the indie route, beating teams that are on the uh, shoe team circuit. And that's really what threw him, you know, up the rankings so quickly. Because everyone was like, where is this kid coming from? You know, he's on this state championship team in Indiana. But like his freshman and sophomore years, he, he was on the team. But it was kind of like... He didn't belong, you know, he wasn't quite there in his junior year. He just blew up. So, you know, here he is. MSU is in on him first. You could feel really good about that. And and that's why he just kind of closed up shop and said, I don't really need to hear from anyone else, right? Like, these people want me, you know, to be a part of this family. And, and that's kind of, I think you and I maybe um, 
love about the MSU basketball program is, is that's kind of how it always feels like the best players are a part of that and, and exude that family type of um, commitment. So yeah, exciting. It, it says a lot. And, and I think, again, when we talk about other people knocking on the door, we're not talking about nobodies. I mean, within the state of Indiana alone, we're talking about Butler, Indiana, and Purdue. Well, you know, and we're talking. Duke was interested. Kentucky was interested. They weren't yep. quite ready to pull the trigger because they had other um, guys that they were looking at. But I mean, the biggest, the best, you know, the, anyone, Gonzaga was interested. Can- Kansas, was Illinois. I mean, like big time powers nationally, big time powers regionally, Ohio State or Dame. I mean, this kid had an offer from from everywhere under the sun and chose to come to MSU. And that's a huge deal. So between him and Norman, let's not forget Jeremy Fears, by the way. Jeremy Fears is going to be a very, very fun point guard. Quick side note before we get to our last commit here. Fears did, uh, he's going to play in the overtime elite league for his senior year, but will maintain all his eligibility and NIL eligibility but will be making money his 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 uh senior year of high school which i think is pretty cool says a lot uh he's a big time i I, i'm very excited to watch jeremy fierce play but the final member of the class one that really really came out of nowhere but i don't want to call it the most exciting because i don't think it is but what he brings is something msu hadn't had in a while that we're going to be totally totally honest and that's cohen carr Four-star small forward, uh, could probably play some power forward small ball as well. From Greenville, South Carolina, um, ranked number 59 in the country on the composite. Uh, Committed to Michigan State just today. uh, He had offers from just about everywhere else under the sun. Indiana, Tennessee, Vandy, UConn were all in very hard, especially towards the end. But this kid... Um, what he brings to the table is is kind of, in my estimation, a perfect complement to the rest of this class. I mean, you've got Fears being the, the the floor general point guard. You've got Norman being spacing and wing play. You've got Xavier Booker down there in the middle. And then Carr is, for those of you, hopefully everybody does, remember Brandon Dawson. I think there's a decent amount in terms of sheer athleticism in Carr's game to, to Dawson. This kid... Uh, is described by Adam Finkelstein on um, 24-7 as perhaps the most violent leaper in the na- national class of 2022. Um, it's that's awesome. fun. So can I jump in just because – Please, take it. About jumping. He allegedly had a vertical of 45 inches, to which I said, that's not a thing. And then I went and watched, and I was like, oh – my and for context on 45 inch vertical that would be i believe better than anyone at the nba draft combined this past year give you context for you so he's got nba bounce already and nba bounce yeah to the like nba dunk contest bounce and you know the best part about him in my opinion is he's frustrated that people think he's only a dunker and he wants to get better he doesn't want to just keep, you know, falling back on the thing that got him to the, you know, to be a, a, an elite recruit. He wants to get extend his game, you know, so he can can be a NBA player. Uh, so you can feel really good about that. And um, I, I don't know. I saw. I think. I think this is going to like like you say is like the 
fills out the class in the best way possible. I want to give Beeflo Spartan a shout out because I think it was him who came up with the name, uh, nicknamed the Rim Reaper, and I'm very, <laughs> very uh, on board with that. Um, so, lots of like, you know, you you like to think that this is the maybe the the end of the class. Who knows? There's a lot to like in this neck that roster. And not only that, but there's an opportunity for Malik Hall, Joey Hauser, and Tyson Walker to come back for their COVID year on mm-hmm. top of AJ Hogard, Jaden Akins, Trey Holloman, uh, Pierre Brooks, uh, Maddie Sissoko, Jackson Kohler, and uh, Carson Cooper. Throw in Keon Coleman. You know, yeah. you got a you got a dunk Malik Carr, you got a dunk contest every practice if you want. It's yeah. An incredibly deep opportunity you know who knows how many actually stay um but it's hard not to look at that roster and say this is a contending team you know this team can contend not for big 10 titles which is the expectation every year but for Izzo's second national championship it should be it should be I mean it should be yeah and we can have a much larger conversation later on about what that could mean but like if you just look at the sheer amount of ball handlers you're going to have on that team between, like you said, say Walker goes, Hogard, Holloman, Akins, and Fears is a really right. impressive group of very good ball handlers. Um, and that front court, the athleticism between uh, the two guys you've got coming in, you've got Kohler who's going to bring a little bit of a different, like throw the ball down feel to, to the five. Uh, Norman would probably play uh honestly early on the wing because they'll they'll need him to probably around the at the three depending on how pierre brooks shakes out and if malik were to come back so you, you know these four guys are not just oh and then cohen uh will be there playing probably uh cohen carl will be there playing right away down at the four and you just you you go from when you look at the line this year of you know malik hall joey hauser uh even pierre brooks you don't see a ton of athleticism on the wing man, you go from that to Norman and Booker and Carr and it takes a big step up really, really quickly. And it's, it's a type of athleticism in the front court that you need. You got shot blocking, you got shooting, you got tons of ball handling. Um, yeah. It's hard not to say that should be a top three to five national title contender, big 10 title, you know, uh, expectation kind of team. What's exciting about it as well as these guys know it. And yeah. say that, I mean, um, when when Norman committed, he, he immediately went on IG lot or Instagram live with uh, Xavier Booker and uh, Jeremy Fierce. And what did they do? Not just celebrate Norman committing, but immediately uh, FaceTimed in or, you know, um, got Cohen Carr on on the line and they had a live recruiting session with him. Fast forward one more night, and he's announcing <laughs> his his commitment. And because they're saying, "Hey, man, you're it. Like, look at us. You're the piece. And look who it, who is on the roster already. Like, we are the ones." Izzo's told us this is the class. Like, you don't guys want to go to the NBA. Don't get me wrong, but if the opportunity to win championships is there along the way, you, you mm-hmm. jump at it. So um, we're getting ahead of ourselves again, but you can't not. It's so hard to not get excited. Um, long ways to go, obviously, a whole season, in fact. But you got to you got to feel pretty good 
about the future of the program, because um, out of the four of them, I mean, Xavier Booker is probably the only sure thing one and done guy. So, yeah. oh, definitely. I mean, it's not just like all your eggs in the basket of that year. It, it sets up a foundation for the future of however long Izzo wants to go, you know, and, and that's that's exciting, too. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's not, not to belabor the point, but. I'll put my hand up and say, I don't, I don't think I thought he had this left in him. I mean, this, this, this class really reaffirms what we've all thought about Tom Izzo for a really long time. I mean, we were very quickly approaching a, if this next class isn't great, you just settle into this sort of mid to upper tier of mediocrity. Um, and I don't think that's like an unfair thing to say or was an unfair expectation. It's just kind of where it felt like it was going in a lot of ways. But then to pull out a four man, all top 90, including unanimous top six, you know, centerpiece type of class. I mean, and beating out huge programs to get every one of these guys is is just something that, again, I I don't think. If you would have asked me, and in all honesty, I would have said I don't think he's got that left in him. But but here we are, and like you said, got a whole season to go. But uh, what it, it it gives you confidence moving forward that Izzo's still got his fastball, and like you said, Booker's might be the only thing that leaves after one year, and then you kind of get into the Mel Tucker mode where it's like, okay, well, what if we can stack two great classes on each other? What does that mean, you know? And then you can you know play the game. But for now, as we wrap this podcast up, I think. Uh, Pretty good time to be a Michigan State fan all across the board. Yeah, man. Uh, only a few weeks to go until uh, football season kicks off. Getting really excited. Uh, a lot of great content coming from theonlycolors.com, so check that out. And uh, I don't know. We're, we're, is it weird that we're excited about both sons at the same time? Uh, we got we to gotta remain responsible mm-hmm. and just say – Guys, we believe in both of you. Nice little pats on the back. Now go prove it. I like that. Yeah. It's not yeah. Over. Just getting started. Just getting started, baby. All right. I think that's it. All right, everybody. As always, thanks for sticking with us. For John, this has been Austin. We'll catch you next week. Sure.